Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Movie Brats Podcast. I am Carter and joining me as always is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm excited because I'm going to the opening weekend of the New York Film Festival next weekend and I'm going to get to see The Irishman. I have a front row ticket to the film and everyone's going to be there, the main cast members and Scorsese. So I'm very excited about that. You were getting into festival season yourself because it has been deep into it for the last month or so. And leading this episode, uh, the winner of the People's Choice Award at the Toronto International Film Festival ended up being Jojo Rabbit by Taika Watiti, which was sort of more coolly received than I expected with people sort of questioning its politics but uh, this is a movie we're both really excited for. Uh, <laughs> does this like uh, enhance your excitement, or is it the exact same as it was before it won this award? Well, well, the fact that it only has a 53 on Metacritic makes me go, mm, but I definitely want to still see it. It's just a disappoint. It, I was disappointed that it didn't have uh, more universal praise. Some see, people the really blowback actually it. makes me. The fact that there was blowback and it still ended up winning the award sort of <laughs> enhances my excitement for it because, I mean, I'm just sort of willing to go wherever Taika Waititi takes me at this point, so I think it's going to be amazing, and the fact that some people are, like, having such a difficulty coming to terms with the movie's message, I guess, just makes me feel like it's going to be a very provocative and interesting movie. I mean, I don't know that I would have said this a year ago, but the one that has gotten divisive reviews, but more positive reviews, I think, in general, is Joker, which won the uh, Golden Lion at Venice. And, I mean, it's almost like uh, they're just purposely throwing a Molotov cocktail into the film festival, <laughs> you know, world, because that one, and then Roman Plansky won an award for his new film, The Officer and Spy. He got Officer the Grand Jury Prize so. at also at Venice Film Festival, which is like, I guess, second place, sort of 1B to the 1A of the Golden Lion. Right. And uh, there, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I poop uh, comic book films often, but Joker definitely has me intrigued. Um, but yeah, I, jo- Jojo Rabbit's one I'm very intrigued by, but uh, yeah, I was a little disappointed that it got mixed reviews, but that doesn't mean just because a film gets mixed reviews doesn't mean it's bad. It has mixed reviews. You might love it. You might hate it. So there are plenty of films I like that have a very mixed response. And then also at Toronto, the first runner up, I love that they call it that and not just second place of the People's Choice Award was Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story, which we've uh, discussed. And, I mean, its festival reception has thrust it like, very much into the Best Picture discussion. And then third place, or second runner-up, they also call this, was Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, which I sort of forgot about and just saw the trailer for when I went to see one of the movies that we're going to review later in the episode. And very quickly became, like, top on my list of movies i'm interested in seeing for the rest of the year definitely i'm I'm a big fan of that director i uh i love the host and mother and snowpiercer so um um it won the palm door at the Cannes film festival earlier this year 
um, yeah, definitely, definitely high on my list of films I want to see. And a movie that also premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival, uh, Hustlers, will be the first movie that we are going to review today, directed by Laureen Scafaria, who also did The Meddler in 2015 and Seeking a Friend for the End of the World in 2012. The movie stars Constance Wu, Jennifer Lopez, and Julia Stiles, and is about a group of strippers in New York City who steal money by drugging Wall Street types who visit their club after the recession in 2008. Uh, it was released wide last week, September 13th. Metacritic score of 79, Rotten Tomatoes score of 88. The first big thing I heard about uh, the reaction to this movie was Jennifer Lopez and how she instantly thrust herself into the favorite position to win Best Supporting Actress at next year's Academy Awards. Uh, do you feel that that hype was justified? I don't care about saying <laughs> if someone deserves an Oscar or not. But was like she that, as good that, as you I, thought I was... as people like hyped her up to be? Because I've always been very skeptical about Jennifer Lopez and her movies. She's always been one to do the really bad rom-com. And has been a big cultural icon for a long time, but has yet to make a big impact on the screen. And in this movie, I like it's definitely the best I've seen her since like uh, what is it, Out of Time from nineteen ninety eight? Out of sight. Right. Well, I mean, I wanted sight, to point yeah. out she like a young Tom Cruise. She actually worked with some really interesting directors earlier in her career. Not always their best films, but she was in a Francis Ford Coppola film, a Bob Rafelson film, a Steven Soderbergh film, an Oliver Stone film, all within like five years, three or four years. Um, yeah, I think she's really good in the film. I think one of the most uh, striking films things about the film. One of the best things about it are the performances, not just her, but Constance Wu. And uh, yeah, I, I think that she does a very good job of being in her early 50s and looking incredible, but also giving a fully realized performance. I mean, obviously, there's the spectacle of her body and uh, being a stripper, but there's more to the film than that. And I think it's very important that the film is directed by a woman that changes the dynamics of, you know, the looking at these women and the the point of the story. But yeah, I think she's really terrific in the film. I mean, I, you know, it's too early to, I mean, I, I think it's good that we've hardly mentioned the word Oscars. It's, you know, it's almost October and I, I'm already kind of dreading that. But yeah, I mean, I, I have no idea what I would pick for my five in each category yet. There's plenty of things to still see, but yeah, I thought she was very good in the film. And when I first heard about this movie, I expected it to be sort of like Magic Mike comedy, but uh, it's much more in line with something like Goodfellas in terms of its tone and uh, just the stuff that happens in it. It's much more of a crime movie than I expected. Uh, I don't know. What like sort of influences do you think really stood out uh, when you were seeing it? Because it, I just kept thinking of Goodfellas like the whole time I was watching it. Well, even more so for me, The Wolf of Wall Street because yeah. of the Wall Street connection. But yeah, I think I, I, I really enjoyed the film. I think it's very stylish. I think it's very well directed. But uh, my main, you know, it's not a major criticism, but my main criticism is that it's very reminiscent of Scorsese. And I don't think the film quite reaches the level of like, 
poetry or opera or just this like the best of Scorsese's films like that they kind of like they reach towards the sky and there's just this you know th- there is like the surface glitz and glamour and the sex and the drugs and the crime and the violence and all that but there's this kind of really you know incredible filmmaking bravado that's like lifting the film above the you know the sleaze that and I think the film Hustlers is very entertaining and, and it does a good job of you know whisking us through this story it's very entertaining and stylish but I don't think it has quite the next levelness of the best of Scorsese's films no I definitely agree with that and two movies that sort of fell into that trap of trying to be Scorsese movies but very much coming up short that came out I don't know, in the last five years, Black Mass, the Johnny Depp movie that sort of tried to be The Departed, and then uh, White Boy Rick, the Matthew McConaughey movie that came out last year. And Hustlers is much better than both of those movies. So I definitely understand the like pastiche of uh, Scorsese criticism of it, and that it definitely does not achieve those heights, but uh, it achieves its you know a certain level that movies like Black Mass and White Boy Rick definitely did not achieve. I didn't see either of those films, but I mean, <laughs> to say some, and it's like, I'm going to go see Casino when I'm in New York City uh, Thursday night, and people like to go, oh, it's not as good as Goodfellas. And I say, well, there's like 48 movies ever made that are better than Goodfellas. Uh-huh. So like Casino is amazing. So to say something isn't as good as Scorsese's best films is still like, you know, to, to, to qual, you know, to say that it you know, in the same sentence shows that the film has a, you know, quality to it, you know, even if it doesn't reach that level, I mean, that's still high praise and it does a very good job. And I wouldn't even say it's an imitation because I think the film has more of its own, you know, like there, it it does have some unique qualities to it. It's just that there's a a lot of the film where I'm like, Oh, that's very, that's Scorsese. That's Scorsese. This is like that scene in that movie, but yeah, but it, but it does that very well. It definitely had elements of, uh, especially Wolf of Wall Street, with the way it used music, and specifically like music in club settings, which was the thing that Wolf of Wall Street did really, really well. But I had to give credit to Hustlers for its dedication to just hitting the like late first decade of the 2000s soundtrack with like a lot of like Usher and Akon and stuff like that. So it was very nice to hear some throwback uh, songs like that in the film. I. It did a good job, uh, which The Big Short didn't necessarily achieve, I think, of, like, just making me feel like it was a movie very much set in 2008, 2009. Uh, I, I don't know. I think the music had a lot to do with that, but uh, Constance Wu, someone I've, I'd really only seen in Crazy Rich Asians. This is, like, the second sort of big leading role she's gotten, and there was very, very much a chance she would be upstaged by Jennifer Lopez, but I thought she very much held her own. And you touched on her performance a little bit earlier, but uh, how do you think she did in her second really big starring role in a, you know, pretty big movie that's gonna end up making over a hundred million dollars? Well, I mean, that's always the question with the Oscars. You know, to me, Constance Wu is the lead in the film, and the the question is, Jennifer. They're probably gonna put Jennifer Lopez uh, Lopez for supporting, but is she also a lead in the film? I mean, she sort of is a like co-lead. How... A lot of the movie is yeah. devoted to her character and. Like devoted her character almost outside of Constance Wu's at times, but yeah, it's like do 
I mean, does anyone think that Viola Davis was the supporting actress in Fences? With you know, no, it's like Denzel Washington and her are the two leads in that film. So it's it's it was like last year the the favorite. You know, I I would argue all three of them are leads like equally together. You know, so but you know that that's that's Oscar campaigning. They'll do. I I don't think that Jennifer Lopez will get nominated for best lead actress, but I think she's very likely could get nominated for supporting actress. So, they, you know, but yeah, I think Constance was very, uh, she I manages quite believe to be... her as a stripper. That's one thing I'll say. Well, I mean, in a way, the, Jennifer Lopez sort the, of uh, like got down, like just like the attitude of not that I've con- <laughs> been to a lot of like New York City strip clubs, but just the attitude of one. Whereas Constance Wu, she wasn't quite as swaggering as like Jennifer Lopez's performance was. And that's part of like her character. She comes in a little more. Right, less initiated, but I mean, she definitely was dominated by Jennifer Lopez in a few of the scenes. Yeah, but that's also the function of the film and the character and the real story. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. You know, it's always like, how much is this, you know, accurate to real life? But um, yeah, I, I, I admire that Jennifer Lopez. Obviously, there's a certain level of glamour and beauty in the film, but she also doesn't mind making the character, you know, morally trashy mm-hmm. you know she, she her character is you know that's the question is how how sympathetic do you feel about these characters because mm-hmm. they're doing horrible things but then it's like i don't feel so bad for these wall street guys <laughs> that's what the reporter played by julia Stiles says mm-hmm. that she doesn't feel bad and then it's interesting because constant Wu's character destiny says well i feel bad yeah I mean, I've heard one people. Well, some. Of, I mean, especially that. one of the guys, the one that really brings them down is like you really can't help but feel bad for them because what they're doing is like really awful, drugging them very seriously. And some of their victims, like one of them, falls off of the roof of his house and like has to be taken to the hospital. It does not shy away from like the trailers of the movie make it seem like it's all fun and games, but like what they're doing is very serious criminal activity, and the movie really does not shy away from uh, depicting that as it really was and. Jennifer, I mean, Jennifer Lopez, you would think for someone of her status would only sort of take roles that reflect well on her character and reflect well on her brand, but it's definitely the most morally dubious character I've ever seen her portray. Well, the the film you said, uh, Goodfellas, the one thing it also captures is the escalating sense of, you know, we're going to get caught, something's going to go wrong, they're getting all these <laughs> very uh, untrustworthy workers that are hopped up on drugs and 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 you just know shit's going to go down at a certain point and it, that tension and that dread is uh built very well into the second part of the film mm-hmm. and the next movie that we are gonna review came out a little bit uh earlier in the summer but i just got around to seeing this week uh ready or not directed by matt bettinelli open and Tyler Gillett, one of those director duo pairings. <laughs> I hadn't seen any of their other movies. Have you? I know VHS was one no. of them. Yeah. It stars uh, Samara Weaving, Adam Brody, Henry Zerny, and Andy McDowell, two real throwback names to the early 90s. Uh, it is about a bride who, on her wedding night, after marrying into a wealthy gaming dynasty, finds herself being hunted by her husband's family as a part of a violent game of hide-and-seek that is part of their family tradition. It premiered uh, July 27th at the Fantasia International Film Festival. Had you ever heard of this film festival before? Because I had not. No. (laughs) 
it came out uh, wide in the U.S. August 21st, a Metacritic score of 64 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 88. Um, this movie very much has a most dangerous game kind of feel and was part of sort of a controversy earlier in the summer as there was another movie uh, that dealt with similar subject matter of wealthy one percenters hunting uh, sort of regular people. I can't remember the title, but I'm the sure hunt. you remember more about that. Yeah, The Hunt. Uh, just sort of yeah. speak on that whole situation, because it's kind of crazy this movie was allowed to come out and that one was not. Well, I mean, the interview got pulled from theaters a few years ago. And, I mean, the way I think about it is, did they pull the great dictator back in World War II? No. <laughs> I mean, it's it's shameful. I mean, I don't think it's just like, oh, it's a, it's a shame. I mean, regardless... It doesn't even really matter how it's good It's not the like that is. movie would have been the like a classic the... anyway, but it is just a question of like censorship no, but... and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it's like dangerous to me and offensive that uh, movies don't come out like that. It, it, it's, you know, with something like The Hunt, like you're giving in to Trump and his supporters by not releasing the film. It's like, no, this is exactly the time to be releasing movies like this. And, uh-huh. uh, yeah, and people talk about, you know, oh, how are people going to react to Joker? I'm like, it's a comic book movie. Like, hopefully it's has weight to it. But I just – I get really bothered when people say a movie shouldn't come out or it's going to cause, you know – like, very few films have actually caused any kind of real reaction. No. Uh, like, the last time – That was something people said it, about uh, the Spike Lee movie, Do the Right Thing, in the late 80s. People were afraid there were going to be, like, race riots because people saw this movie. And it's very offensive to audiences to think that people are that, like, sheep-like and discontrollable by the things they see. That, like, they're going to leave the movie theater and start, like, committing acts of violence. Right. Well, I mean, I can partially, talking about this stuff, go into... I don't think Ready or Not's a very good film. (laughs) I think there are a number of aspects of it that are entertaining. But I think one of the problems of the film is that it has this really intriguing premise. But it doesn't really have much of a political or social message it just it kind of takes this premise the plot was absolutely ludicrous and like the motivations for like the rich characters are just like totally insane there's this whole like backstory on like a french trader in the 19th century who puts a sort of monkey's paw curse on the family where if they don't, like, kill the bride, if they, like, draw this game that the family's gonna die at the end. It's a, just a preposterous plot. And I think maybe that's part of why yeah. it was allowed to be released and The Hunt was not. That it's just so removed from reality that it's a very difficult movie to, like, take seriously in any way. Yeah, my my main... Uh, I, yeah, I... I I had a problem of never being able to get over the premise. I just, the whole movie, I was like, this is stupid. Like (laughs) this can't, this wouldn't happen. Like, like, and I, I was thinking throughout the movie that if they had made it almost more, um, kind of surreal, like, like if Yorgos Lanthimos had taken this premise, he could have gotten away with it. If they had done it like this kind of, really kind of not like surreal like a Boonwell or David Lynch film but if they had made it like this arch like the way the lobster just like felt the more real totally ridiculous if it like if it yeah had, you know what like I'm saying like grounded if, in any sort of reality because it's a ridiculous premise but 
Like, there have been other movies with ridiculous premises that have been executed well, and you feel like there's a reality to it. But Ready or Not was just so preposterous. And it wasn't even, like, that in a good way. You would think a movie like this would have really, like, incredible action set pieces or, like, be really suspenseful and scary. But even, like, the action sequences weren't really very good. And it's not a bad movie. uh... It's, like, a two and a half out of five, like... If it's on TV, yeah, I might I'd watch a bit too. of it. Like, it's not total dog shit, but <laughs> it's definitely like a movie it, that could have been much, much better than it ended up being. It's one of those films where you accept early on that this isn't going to be very good, and you settle into that, and you go, okay, let me go ahead and enjoy it now, knowing it's not very good. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's <laughs> Your expectations are set really, really early. That you're like, oh, okay. And I have to say that Samara Weaving, I hadn't seen her in anything. I was actually really impressed by her. And there was a certain, like, star quality you felt when she was on the screen. And uh, I don't know. She's just, like, a very intriguing sort of face. Looks a lot like Margot Robbie. Like, it's yeah, almost she, like a Margot Robbie she, she, she suffered. Yeah, she suffers from looking like Margot Robbie and Emma Stone morphed together. Like, <laughs> it, it's, like, kind of almost eerie. It's distracting like, uh, to an extent. Yeah. <laughs> But I, yeah, the I remember one of the Coen brothers said once that one of the top jobs of a director is tone management, and I think this film has a big problem with being really violent and graphic and gory, and then it's just kind of snarky and funny and like, oh, the guy sitting on the toilet looking up how a videos on YouTube of how to use and a you crossbow. You never have a great sense it's just, of like the stakes of the movie. Um. Even though it's right. like a life or death it's, sort of movie, like it never really feels like the stakes of it are actually that high. Right. Did you see a film from a few years ago earlier this decade called You're Next? I have not. Yeah, that has a similar kind of premise. People stuck in a house are kind of hunting each other. And I don't think that film's entirely successful either, but that one does a better job of this kind of premise and yeah i just uh, like this is a movie where when something would happen that was effective and working i'd be like oh this is going and then it would do something i'm like oh that doesn't really work it's like the you're just going back and forth between like oh this actually is getting kind of good now and then it does something stupid and it falters and yeah so there's a number of scenes and moments and the lead performance is very good. There are things about it that are work, but it just, it suffers from like puttering throughout the whole film of not being consistent. Mm -hmm. And it's a movie that's done surprisingly well. I see like its budget was only 6 million and it's going to make like 50. So we might even get like a ready or not sequel uh, in the future. But you know, it just like makes you question what kind of stuff people say. Yeah. I mean, I've said, I've definitely seen worse horror films horror comedies but i just i i wish that they had the premise is intriguing but it they don't execute it no pun intended very well like and i said i think i mean it's not entirely fair to say oh this movie would have been better if like yorgos lance the most had directed it you can say that about so many things Yeah, but can't you imagine if his sensibility having seen like the lobster like if he had taken this premise and well, there's just it. so like, many things you can do with it. Like, you it, could just like stay on the bride protagonist like point of view the whole time, and not keep cutting back and forth between the family and her, and so like it becomes much more suspenseful. Like, oh, where is everybody? Sort of thing. Just 
there's just so many it, it's a great premise like the most dangerous game like which this is like more or less based on it's such like a interesting exciting like source text that uh it's you, i've yet to see a movie that really like makes that as exciting and like intense as it should be which is you know a shame because uh, i i did have sort of high Quentin expectations Tarantino's for this movie. favorite well, Quentin Tarantino's favorite film of like tw- in a twenty-year period, Battle Royale. That does it very well. Have you ever seen that? I started watching it, but I just felt like I, I couldn't sit through the whole thing. It's like students killing each other in very like violent sort of ways. Right? It's like yeah. the more Tar- violent Tarantino's uh, favorite Hunger film Game sort of thing, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, when uh. Inglorious Bastards came out. Tarantino did a list of the twenty favorite films of his since uh, he, Reservoir Dogs, so like a seventeen-year period, and Battle Royale was uh, number one. And he did all the others alphabetically. And he said that the Matrix would be number two, except the sequel so fucked up the series that it like retroactively made the second one not the the original not as good. But he's picked Battle Royale as the his favorite film, and he said it's the only film I wish I had directed. Uh, in that time period but anyway yeah i yeah it's been done over and over again i mean there was the schwarzenegger film the running man and you know hunting people is always you know the hunger games come on i mean that was a giant franchise but yeah yeah, i just wish that the film tonally had worked better and it's like there's things about it that it's almost like there it does go in kind of daring and interesting directions at times but even some of those things like the ending of the movie is interesting but it kind of doesn't work either and it's just like no there's like an about face by the husband that like that character just like you could not get a grip on like whatsoever and (laughs) i don't know just the whole premise just makes everything so insane and preposterous I don't know. Do you feel like this yeah, is something can... we can spoil? Because, like, there's... I'll go ahead and spoil it. There's, like, this thing where if they don't kill the bride, the whole family is gonna die. And it's, <laughs> it's just, like... I don't know. It's so ridiculous. And uh, it's you really can't get past it. And there's, like... I don't know. <laughs> the other, the, it's funny. You probably, other it's a movie director. you probably shouldn't think about. Uh, too much and just sit back and watch because you know they're entertaining parts of it but it is just a ridiculous plot <laughs> yeah the two directors that could have taken it in tonally different ways that would have maybe worked better it's like i said yorga flanthamos doing it as this like really pitch black social satire or if they had made it more outrageous and silly by if Sam Raimi had directed it. It made it like an Evil Dead film. It made it <laughs> no, more that's cartoonish not and like not as serious. Yeah, yeah, like it it's it's t- stuck too much in the middle. And yeah, it's 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 irritating when a movie has uh, this possibility. Because like the for, husband gives such a you know, sincere performance the whole time. He seems like he's in a different movie than like Adam Brody, who's doing this whole like sort of laconic removed from the situation like ironic i'm like sort of like above everything laughing at it and then henry zarney who's just like <laughs> outrageous and <laughs> it's like any movie he's in with his voice is gonna seem like it's like a spoof and like a farce and then i don't know just the husband seems so sincere and earnest the whole time it just seemed like he was in a different movie than everybody else 
Right. That's an example of tonally not meshing. And I, yeah, it, it's like a lot of the, obviously these characters, a lot of them you're not supposed to have sympathy for. They're bad people, but they're just obnoxious and they're, it's not, I don't think the movie's very funny. No. I didn't, like, I just found it kind of grating and, yeah. So two and a half out of five sounds yeah. per- perfect to me. Hustlers There's is much aspects better. Aspects of it I like. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Go see the stripper movie over the murder in the mansion movie. So just to sort of, I guess, uh, touch on you going to the New York Film Festival, what else are you going to see uh, besides um, <laughs> the new Martin Scorsese movie, The Irishman? I'm so, I'm seeing Kelly Rydark's new film, First Cow, which is supposed to be another very small slice-of-life film period piece where nothing really happens and it's very quiet and slow, which I love. And I am seeing Pedro Almodovar's new film, Pain and Glory, with Almodovar and Antonio Banderas in person. One of the great international film filmmakers of the last 25 years or so. Uh, this is a Spanish-language movie, isn't it? Yes, he's never made an English language one. Yet. Okay, wow. This seems you know somehow was... more like Hollywood than maybe his more recent movies, though. I don't know. Why am I thinking that? Well, is it because it because it's about a filmmaker? <laughs> maybe that's why. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, he uh, the did you know that he was offered to direct Sister Act, the Whoopi Goldberg nun comedy, and he almost oh. did it. He would have taken that but to a much different get... place than I feel like the movie ended up going. Yeah, but the thing is, he didn't. He was worried he wasn't going to get final cut. And he also was offered Brokeback Mountain, and they asked him in an wow. interview a few years ago, how would your film been different? And he said, more sex, more sex. <laughs> that's what he would have said. That's, but, um, that's a movie yeah. that would have been a real like sort of left-field turn for him. He's usually sort of like a zany, sort of dark comedy it would that would have been a very reserved sort of movie and like understated for Almodovar. Uh, he's a guy that usually like when you're watching it, you know it's an Almodovar movie. He's very much an auteur in that way. And the way Ang Lee ended up doing Brokeback Mountain, it's such an understated movie that would have been totally different. <laughs> That's a very weird one to right. think about. Well, I mean, I mean, even more, even Almodovar's films that are more serious and. Uh, dramatic, like talk to her. It's still like an outrageous premise, yes, and it has it's, some it's really weird, and... surreal scenes, like dream sequences. Where right. I don't even want to like go into but, it because uh, it's almost obscene. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I'm also seeing a film called Liberté that's by Albert Serra, S E R R A. I think that's how you pronounce it. And I've never seen one of his films. I might try to see one before I leave. It's basically a two-hour and fifteen-minute movie watching the aristocratic people. I'm also seeing Portrait of a Lady on Fire. <laughs> Probably not going to get a huge wide release like... in America. <laughs> No, but Portrait is probably uh, going to get a good art house release because it's like the best reviewed film of the year, pretty much. It played at Cannes. Really? Was, Which one is uh, this? Got rave reviews. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It has like a 95 on Metacritic. Oh, I think it's tied with what? Uh, what had the filmmaker story. done also? Uh, she did a movie called Girlhood and Tomboy. And um, yeah, it's just gotten absolutely right now is a 93 on Metacritic and uh, it's a lesbian film and it's just supposed to be, you know, it sounds like your cup of tea on an isolated island in Brittany at the end of the 18th century. A female (laughs) painter is obligated to paint a wedding portrait of a young woman, period piece. Sounds like the draftsman's contract. Yes, that very much sounds like something I'd be interested in. (laughs) Right. 
but um, I, I'm going to see Martin Scorsese give a talk. Um, I've seen Scorsese before in person, but uh, let's see what done. else. I'm very jealous of that. You've never seen Scorsese in person. You're saying it, that as if it's something that, like everyone has done. <laughs> well, you lived in New York for almost three years, right? <laughs> yeah, I've never seen Woody Allen either. <laughs> well, I did. I mean, it's just like I, that, that's one thing I don't understand is uh, like. I don't know. I, like I don't understand how people are like going to NYU for cinema studies and like like oh my gosh there's like one of the most famous like best directors ever it's like fifteen dollar ticket and they're like uh, I'm gonna go see Avengers I'm like what are you talking about like why like it's Michael Mann is here well, I didn't live in Jerry Manhattan Lewis. it was a little more difficult for me <laughs> yeah I mean I I still don't I mean I know that's not everyone is like a Jerry Lewis obsessive but he just turned ninety a few days earlier and he was at the Museum of Modern Art and I was like messaging everyone like Jerry Lewis is gonna be at the Museum of Modern Art like he's ninety like. You got to go see him. I got one friend to go with me. Um, yeah, I the list of directors I've seen is pretty incredible. I've seen Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, David Lynch, Pedro Almodovar, Michael Mann, Jerry Lewis, Mel Brooks, Woody Allen. I've seen Dario Argento and John Carpenter. I mean, I I just I I made it an a lot over six like see. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've also seen Edgar Wright. Edgar and, Wright is the last uh, one I saw. He was at the a screening of Baby Driver. In uh, in New York that I saw him in person at, that might have been like the last big I went director to, I've seen in person. Uh, I went to an AOL Build series interview. Like you can see me asking him a question. I don't know if I was in a bad mood that day, but I was basically thanking him for making original films. And I said, like, how do you feel when the Star Wars filmmakers keep getting fired? And there's like Scorsese's most recent film only grossed eight million dollars in the u.s like what about the state of cinema edgar and i was like and he was like well his his thing was like he said look back at like alien and terminator these like big franchise movies like they were original movies they were genre movies but they were like really well written and directed and they were you know original movies and he says you can still do that mm-hmm. but they just keep remaking and rehashing everything but yeah gonna who are the remake the princess bride <laughs> we're gonna get that instead yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. What, 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 what's, what are some directors you saw in person while you were in New York? Uh, Cohen Brothers. Uh, did you go to the Oak Brother where Art Thou screening that I went to too? I did go to that. That was also New York Film Festival, wasn't that. it? Yeah, and oh, uh, you can count. You saw George Clooney. He's a director too. Uh, I did see George Clooney. I saw the director of Twentieth yeah. Century Women, whose name I can't remember right now. Yeah, I did too. Mike Mills, who uh, Mike Joaquin Mills. Phoenix is going to be in his next movie. Uh-huh. I don't yeah, know. I can't yeah. I mean, the, the 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 top directors that are living that I most would want to see are Terrence Malick, yeah. Jean Luc Godard. Uh, I'd love to see Clint like Eastwood. Seeing the Loch Ness monster, seeing Terrence Malick. Yeah, yeah. I wonder when's the last time Godard's been in the U.S. It's probably been quite a while because he's he, he's eighty eight years old. Like a guy who like, I, goes to like Houston every like May though, just like lucky. He's a person you can't even put a figure on. Like it's hard for me to yeah. even believe he's still alive. <laughs> like I have no yeah, conception of make, what yeah. he does with his everyday life. John Luke Godard. I mean, he turns 89 in December, and he's still making. He's going to make another movie. Yeah, I I, I did see Anya Sparda. 
Um, I mean, I, I could list directors that are no longer living that I've seen. I've seen Jerry Lewis. I've seen Anya Sparta, Jonathan Demme. Um, I saw Herschel Gordon-Lewis. I saw D.A. Pennebaker. Yeah, so I, I, I was like, you know, I, I tell people that I'm not the type of person that goes, oh, my gosh, there's Channing Tatum. I go, oh, my gosh, there's Channing Tatum, who's worked with the Coen brothers, Quentin Tarantino, Bennett Miller, and Steven Soderbergh like four or five times. Like, that's my mindset. Like, I don't care, like, just, oh, my gosh, there's a celebrity. It's like I want to see these people interviewed because I respect their work. That makes sense, right? Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, like it's it's depressing to me that Channing Tatum has made better and more interesting film choices in the last decade than Robert De Niro and Al Pacino <laughs> and a lot of the best actors of that generation. It's true, I think. No, like Channing true. Tatum's done. Yeah, I mean Fox, Fox Catcher, Catcher and Hateful yeah. Eight, done a whole lot of stuff with Steven Soderbergh. Yeah. Anyway, we're going off on tangent, but uh, I I will I've uh, I am going to get to see Kelly Rydark and Albert Sarah. And, you know, sometimes you just see people walking around like I saw uh, previous years. I saw John Hamm. Um, I saw Blythe Danner. I saw oh I, one of the big directors. I saw Brian De Palma uh, at the screening of a documentary about him. So that was cool. Oh, that's very cool. Very unassuming looking person. That's definitely a person you could just be sitting next to in the subway and be like, oh, that was Brian DeVolve. <laughs> it just well, looks like a frumpy was, old man. I, I thought it was funny that uh, David Cronenberg was talking about once that he met Martin Scorsese and Scorsese told him that he was a big admirer of his films, but he was a little afraid to meet him. And Cronenberg said, you 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 made taxi driver and you're scared to see me it's like there's this weird thing of like people are almost frightened to meet i don't feel that way about anyone really that like even as messed up as their movies can be like i don't think there's there's anyone where i would be afraid to uh i i did think it was funny though i was hearing someone talk about you're afraid um, of meeting crispin bruce... glover <laughs> well I, I was uh, saying that i listen uh bruce dern was on mark Marin's podcast recently and uh I remember listening to another podcast where, you know, uh, Bruce Dern shoots John Wayne and the Cowboys, shoots him in the back. And the guy who was hosting the podcast, who's like in his 60s or early 50s, in his 50s, and he was saying that ever since he saw it as a kid, every time he sees Bruce Dern, at least for like a minute or so or a few seconds, he like has to go oh that's the guy that shot john wayne like he, <laughs> like he, he almost can't he, he every time he sees bruce Dern, he's like that's the guy that killed john wayne and like he can't quite get over it for a few seconds but anyway <laughs> that's a good way to close it out for this uh edition of the movie brats uh hustlers much better than ready or not probably won't make it on end of the year top 10 but it was a very solid good movie something like a four out of five you think something like that right yeah that's what i'd give it to so yeah thank you for listening and we will be back with you next time we'll probably get a report from uh jonathan's experience at the new york film festival and seeing the irishman a full two months before the rest of us mere mortals will end up seeing it in netflix so thank you for listening and we'll be back with y'all next time well, maybe, maybe it's a